0: Good morning. Today is Tuesday, April 21st, and we are going to go ahead and continue in our series on the sequence of end times events. And uh, as I've mentioned before, these uh, these events that take place and the order in which they happen uh, are in some ways subject to some debate. Um, but for the most part, what we're describing here is what is generally held as, as a pretty mainline idea of how these things unfold. Uh, There are nuances along the way of various specific events uh, that that obviously are important to understand, and we're sort of taking more of a a survey, an overview, kind of a look at it. Because again, my intention here is a little bit different. Uh, It's intended to be just a way of taking some of the fear away from the idea of studying prophecy. Again, prophecy is a, a topic that a lot of people are a little bit shy to get near, uh, to touch, or to try and understand, or, or you know, God forbid, uh, say that things are going to happen a certain way for fear of being wrong, or having to rethink our positions on things as things in the world unfold around us. Well, uh, there are some times when that certainly is a legitimate thing. It may very well be that an event takes place that causes us to think, okay, uh, you know, maybe I have to rethink this or something. But by and large, most of the things in prophecy that are uh, speaking of the end times, like we're looking at. Uh, These things, uh, you know, most of these things are not really called into question as to whether they'll happen. And so to have a good idea of what's coming and some sense of the order of events in which they will happen is important. One of the big things that uh, is a point of a lot of discussion uh, uh, in these things would be the idea of the rapture. When does it happen? Does it happen uh, before the the entire tribulation period? What constitutes the tribulation period? Uh, Does it happen just before the great tribulation period? Things that we'll talk about. Um, these are questions that are valid, and, and some great discussion ensues about these things, and it's, it's worthwhile having those discussions, and it's okay to take a position on it. And if it turns out that, uh, like for example, my, my position is that the rapture happens prior to the 70th week of Daniel, or the entire seventh uh, 70th week, so the last seven year period, which we're going to talk about today, um, before Jesus sets up his kingdom, before the Antichrist even comes on the scene and is recognized as such. Um, That is a point of some debate by some people. We talked about the rapture at the beginning of this uh, series, and so you can go back and listen to that in part one of our sequence series here. Um, But, you know, I just say all that to say that it's okay to have differing views on these things. Uh, Maybe for some, the safest position in terms of the rapture is to be what's been kind of jokingly called the pan-tribulational view, however it pans out. Uh, And I think there's some validity to having a certain element of that mindset, because uh, if the rapture turns out not to happen when I think it will, uh, then that doesn't mean my faith is shattered and I don't believe in Jesus and I guess I'm just going to go follow the Antichrist. No, Uh, it just means that I need to rethink my my position on that. You know, the rapture will happen. The Bible says it will happen. But when it happens, again, is subject to some debate. And so uh, my position is not that my faith hangs on when the rapture happens, but the idea that the rapture will happen is is a sure thing. But even if it happens at some place that I just had no idea would happen, my faith isn't in the timing of the rapture. My faith is in Jesus who's going to come and get me. My faith is in the one who paid for my sins. That's the overwhelming uh, anchor for my faith. So, But these other things we talk about, uh, you know, you might say, well, why study these things if it really doesn't matter when these things happen? If my faith is in Jesus, what difference does it make when anything else happens? Well, I think there's, there's, uh, there's a lot to be said for the idea that as we look at how the world is going to be looking like when we get uh, to this point, or as... I believe we're in it. Um, It's something that really excites us in our faith. It's something that causes us to live with a kind of anticipation and excitement uh, of of seeing the Lord soon, that I think even in the first century church that they kind of lived in that sense of that excitement of his soon return. So I think it's worth it. Plus on top of that, as we've said many times along the way, about a third of the Bible deals with this subject of prophecy. Not all of it's end times prophecy, but a pretty good significant portion of it is. But the subject of prophecy is is a huge theme that runs throughout scripture, literally from page like two when the fall happens, uh, right off the bat, a prophecy is given about a Messiah who will come and save us. So prophecy is is not a peripheral thing, scripturally speaking, and so my suggestion is is that we take the time to understand the various elements of prophecy as best as we can and allow it to have that desired effect in our lives, that sense that, okay, God does what he says and we're going to see things unfold here in the future that are gonna culminate in us going to see the Lord. Uh, And so we should be uh, recognizing the signs of the times in which we live, understanding that the time of Jesus' coming is soon. Studying prophecy helps us to that end. So that said, we have looked at the rapture. Uh, We have looked at uh, Ezekiel. Uh, We talked uh, about the rapture first, and we went ahead and talked about Israel and her central place in end times uh, eschatology, and really in biblical prophecy to begin with. Uh, She is the centerpiece of so much of what the scriptures talk about, and that will continue even through the last days. Uh, And then we talked about Ezekiel 38 and 39, and this particular battle with those armies led by, I believe, Russia, could be Turkey, I think it's Russia, um, leading all these hordes of armies together against Israel from all of these nations, mostly from the furthermost parts of the north, even uh, down into the African continent, all coming against her, Uh, and God coming to her aid and delivering her from this uh, attack. And so we talked a bit about those things, again, in somewhat of a survey sense, but just to get familiar with those passages. And now we're going to move on to a period of time that is after those events, I believe. I don't think Ezekiel 38 and 39 and what we'll talk about starting in Daniel 9 are the same event. I think they're separate, and I think Ezekiel 38 and 39 will happen first, and then some amount of time, I don't think very much, will pass between those events and the events we'll start talking about today. And in particular, we're going to start looking at what is called Daniel's 70th week. And for this, let me go ahead and and invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 9. And I'm going to actually start, uh, even though uh, Daniel's prophecy that we're going to concern ourselves with doesn't come until we get to about uh, verse 24 or so. Uh, But what I'm going to go ahead and do is just read the first few verses of Daniel 9, just to give you a sense of where Daniel's at uh, when he's given this prophecy. Now, Daniel, in uh, chapter 9 of his uh, book, uh, starts. uh, we, we, we look at chapter 9, it starts with this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, in the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish seven, uh, 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And so it starts with Daniel recognizing as a student of God's word. Jeremiah is where he finds himself reading and praying and studying and in that in Jeremiah's uh, writings Daniel comes across the passage that talks about how God is going to accomplish 70 years of, of captivity and what is going on here is that Daniel realizes that that time is just about up and so Israel is about to be delivered out of the hands of, uh, uh, of, of Darius and the Medes and such, and they're going to go back to Jerusalem. And so he begins to pray about this. Now let me stop right there for a minute and point out something. Daniel takes the word of God seriously. He didn't figuratively think that this period of time was some other magical thing. He didn't say it's just uh, metaphorical in some way. No. Actually, the 70 years that he looked at there were literally 70 years that he expected Uh, God to work in, as he had said. Which means that Daniel, uh, who's in the Bible, took other parts of the Bible uh, that were written before him seriously. And people will sometimes say, do you take the Bible literally? Well, that, that sometimes can be a bit of a trap, okay? There are places that are intended to be taken literally in Scripture. This is one of them, right? Daniel takes Jeremiah's prophecy literally, and he begins to set his face to pray about those things. Uh, Another uh, uh, area of of scripture that we would take literally is when Jesus says literal things. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's not a metaphorical thing, you know, it's a literal thing. Uh, On the other hand, there are things in scripture that are obviously metaphorical. He will hide you under the shadow of his wings. Okay Well, we're not supposed to suppose uh, imagine that God has wings like a bird or something like that. It's clearly a metaphor. It's clearly allegorical in its nature in describing something of the nature and character of God uh, that by using something that we can see in life to represent something that is beyond our uh, ultimately beyond our understanding, but it explains something of the character of God. So some things are very literal. Some things are obviously allegorical. The question is, when we get to some of these passages, like in Revelation and such, how do you interpret those? Well, I think, generally speaking, the best thing to do is to remember to take the Bible seriously, which means when it speaks metaphorically, understand that it's metaphorical and understand what's intended to be conveyed through that. When it's literal, don't chalk it up as metaphorical, because you'll make the mistake of missing out on something important that God was trying to say. And so, um, take the Bible seriously. Daniel did here. uh, and so, uh, on the other hand, other prophecies Daniel gets are clearly metaphorical. Uh, the statue um, that that Daniel uh, interprets this dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar gets. Well, uh, sure, Nebuchadnezzar built a statue, sure. But really, what Daniel was describing in interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream was a metaphor for various kingdoms that would ultimately, well, I guess this way, technically, uh, would, would kind of make their way toward the last times. And so ultimately culminating in this mountain this rock cut without hands coming in and and striking at this final world empire and that. Well, that's metaphorical, right? I mean, there will be a literal kingdom that is the kingdoms that are succeed each other and it will ultimately be um, um um you know, the final one will come as literally as Christ returns. But the picture was metaphorical, but it spoke of a literal reality. So be be thoughtful about when you read the scripture to understand that um you know, those who are in the Bible seem to take other scriptures seriously. And so, uh, I'm saying that kind of clumsily, but, you know, Daniel didn't know he was going to be in the Bible, per se. But, but as he looked at what he understood to be revelation from God, he took it seriously, so much so that he began to pray. Now, as Daniel, from verses, uh, uh, verses 3 on, as he begins to pray, and I would encourage you to read all that, Daniel prays really fervently, very intensely. Uh, and he begins to confess the sins of his people, and he includes himself in there, by the way. Uh, We don't really see any of Daniel's sin in the book of Daniel, and we see him as a very upright and holy person, but he considers himself part of his people that he's praying for. You know, we have sinned, we have done this, we have done that, and at the end of the prayer, you can almost get this sense that there's a crescendo that Daniel is reaching as he's crying out to the Lord, Fervently he finishes in verse nineteen by crying out to the Lord, "O oh Lord, hear, O oh Lord, forgive, O oh Lord, listen and act, do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name, and verse twenty now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and the present, uh, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, and informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So Daniel is praying, praying fervently, and he, again, He includes himself among those who need God's grace and forgiveness in the midst of this. God, restore and forgive us in all of these things. It's good to include yourself uh, as you pray for those around you, your nation and such. Be like Daniel in that way. God, help us to get our hearts right before you. Help us, Lord, to be uh, right when you set up your kingdom when it's coming and all these things. There's a lot to be taken from Daniel's prayer. But it's while he's praying that Gabriel shows up. And he begins to explain to Daniel uh, some very important things. So he begins to share with Daniel some very important things about what is to come in the days ahead. And we're going to go through a little bit of this and then pick it up tomorrow. But let me dive in and read the actual prophecy that Gabriel gives Daniel. He says in verse 24, and this is what is called Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end to sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome time. After the seventy, uh, I'm sorry, and after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood. And till the end of the war, desolations are determined, and he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Okay, or on the desolator. Uh, That's another way to interpret that last word there. But okay, so what in the world is that all about? Okay, well, in the first place, let's start with something very simple. Seventy weeks are appointed to you uh, for your people and your holy city. Okay, let me start by kind of connecting a dot here. We talked about Israel as the centerpiece of prophetic, biblical prophecy in that. Well, here, Daniel is once again, like others in the Old Testament, given this understanding that the things that are being spoken about are specifically uh, directed at Israel, okay, his people and his holy city. He's talking about Israel. Um, interestingly, and we'll touch on this as we go through this. When Jesus is in the temple area with the disciples, and they're marveling at the stones and this magnificent temple and all this kind of thing, and Jesus uh, tells them there's a day coming when not one stone will be left upon another. They ask him about when these things will be and what will be the sign of his coming, and he begins to explain what is called the Olivet Discourse. It's it's a it's a it's a discourse describing end times events, and as you read that uh, that that revelation that he gives, this prophecy of what is to come, you can tell by the language that's used, the kinds of terms and who he's focusing on throughout that, that the primary focus of that is Israel. Again, uh, revelation, or not, uh, Matthew 24, 25, 24 specifically, you can tell. He talks about making sure that you don't have to flee on the Sabbath. You'll pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. Well, that wouldn't matter to a Gentile because Gentiles don't care about you know whether you can flee or run on the sabbath but a jew would have to wrestle with that because god's law says you wanted the sabbath so if i take up all my stuff and try and flee from this flood that's coming to to you know to, to attack us and everything can i do that on the sabbath it was a big deal as a matter of fact uh was it the seven day war i think uh where the arab nations around israel attacked her on the sabbath knowing that that would be a weak point for israel and so um uh was it the seven um Seven-day war, I forget. But um, but anyway, so uh, so Daniel here is being told that this prophecy is specific to his own people and he is told that 70 weeks are appointed, okay? This is probably about where we'll end today and then we'll pick it up tomorrow, but let me explain what we're talking about when we say the 70 weeks. Um, some great work has been done on this. The most famous work done to understand uh, the time measuring and that kind of thing that's being spoken about was actually a gentleman named Sir Robert Anderson, he wrote a book called The Coming Prince in which he uh, described in detail and figured out and calculated what was being described here. And when we talk about 70 weeks, we're not saying weeks in the sense that you and I might think of seven days make a week, but rather uh, what is being said here is there are 70 sevens that are appointed. Uh, And it turns out that what is in play here is 70 weeks of years, okay? In other words, there are, uh, as he describes here, there are the seven weeks, then there are 62 weeks, and then there's a final week. Uh, in other words, there are, as, a, a, uh, there are uh, as he says here, there is seven sevens, then there's 62 sevens, and then there's a final seven. What that basically means is there are 69 weeks at first, and then later on, as he talks further in the prophecy about this one who makes a covenant, that is the 70th seven or the 70th week. And so what in play is in play here are periods of years. We don't really know for sure why he divides it between the 70 uh, and then the 62. In other words, uh, 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 I'm sorry, the seven and the 62, which equals 69. I, I'm sorry, math has never been my thing, so I, I do have to rely on people who have done the math on some of these things. But, but anyway, so 69 weeks and then a the 70th week is what's in view here. The 69 weeks, at first lead up to the coming of messiah and ultimately is being cut off or being killed and then there's a 70th week that is sometime after that now that is where we're going to go ahead and begin to unpack what happens during these times and in particular we're going to look at the 70th week uh, that becomes the crescendo the culmination of this prophecy and so that's where we're going to spend most of our time uh, uh, we'll pick it up again tomorrow uh, at that point but just to summarize here There are 70 weeks in view in this prophecy and they focus on the nation of Israel. Uh, The first 69 weeks lead up to a period of time starting with a particular event, the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. When the command goes forth to do that, that's the starting point. And uh, 70 weeks begin from that point. The first 69 are the time period between the command to rebuild Jerusalem and the coming of Messiah, the prince, who is ultimately killed. 69 weeks during that period of time. And then sometime after that, there is a 70th week. Well, we'll talk about sort of some of the calculating that went into figuring out what those dates were, but we do know that uh, that event did take, both of those events took place. The command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem was given, and ultimately Messiah came and was crucified. He died, he was killed. And now there's this 70th week that is still coming that we have not entered into yet, but is soon coming and it's going to be the final week ultimately before Messiah or Jesus sets up his kingdom. So we'll talk more about that tomorrow we'll pick it up. But I would encourage you to go ahead and just as a bit of a, a hint to go ahead and read Nehemiah chapter 2. Now if I read the whole books of Nehemiah and Ezra or Ezra and Nehemiah as they uh for a long time were considered to be connected books in the Jewish old uh, the uh, in the Hebrew Old Testament. Um so read Nehemiah chapter 2 because that's going to tell us that that shows us the command to rebuild Jerusalem. And then I would also um, just encourage you to kind of reread this prophecy in Daniel about the 70 weeks, and then we'll go ahead and break it down next time. So let me go ahead and pray as we close, and then we'll look forward to picking this up next time. Father, we're thankful for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you've shown us in your word things that are yet to come. And uh, even at the time of Daniel, you told him things that were yet to come, some of which we've already seen historically have come to pass. But Lord, in terms of those final things that he talks about and that are the subject of much prophecy in scripture that we'll look at, uh, Father, help us to see these things, to understand them, but to understand them so that they might ultimately fuel and spark our faith in such a way as to cause us to look up with great anticipation, knowing that Jesus is soon coming to set up his kingdom, which can only mean that he's coming to snatch away his bride and the rapture is even sooner. And so we thank you for this, Father. And we pray, Lord, for any among us who are listening to this or watching this that are not sure about you know where they stand with Jesus. I pray that they would come clean before him and receive him as their own Lord and Savior, that they would respond to the call of the gospel, to put their trust in Jesus, who died for their sins once and for all and, began, and, and, and ultimately is going to deliver all of his uh, followers into this place, uh, heaven, that we all so much look forward to, but have assurance of, when we put our trust in Jesus. And so Father, we love you and thank you and praise you. And we ask you just to watch over us until we meet again and help us to understand these things. In Jesus' name, amen.